0: This is Cinema Roundtable. My name is Beau, and joining me today is Erica.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And we also have Jared.
1: I am here.
0: And uh, this is kind of a, a weird situation to be in, because, you know, usually you'd be listening to Jake in the host spot, uh, but Jake has just had a very big life event um, a- alongside and Lexi. Lexi. Yeah. And uh, they've just had their first child. And so, congratulations to them. We're very happy for them. Uh, they are all happy and well. Um, and so, they'll both be taking a break uh, from the podcast for a while. And so, I am stepping in as an alternate. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be reviewing uh, a couple of films that, you know, I have kind of been on people's radars here and there. Uh, you know, kind of popular. It is uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. We're doing the Barbenheimer uh, review. And so these are two huge films, actually. Everybody's talking about this phenomenon. It was huge over these past few months, people talking about going to these two movies. And we've all seen both movies. And so instead of the standard formula of, Hey, what have you been watching? I've been watching this. Hey, what have you been watching? We're just going to review these two films, uh, the three of us. So that'll be kind of fun. So, um, I guess before we get into it, I am curious about how you have absorbed the phenomenon of Barbenheimer. Is this something you both were really looking forward to, uh, for months leading up to the events? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and first of all, Bo, do appreciate you lending your uh very smooth broadcaster vocals to uh to the podcast here and leading us off. That's that's quite nice. But uh I would say, yeah, in regards to the Barbenheimer phenomenon, like with Nolan he's kind of got like a lifetime pass for me. You know, I'm in the bag no matter what. So as soon as I knew Oppenheimer was his next film, I just kind of avoided most marketing materials. I did watch like the the teaser trailer and that was about it. And otherwise I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And, you know, no, no need to further market to me. With Barbie, that was extremely interesting just because, you know, on the face of it, it just probably shouldn't work you know, other than Mm -hmm. looking like just a huge old, you know, cash grab sort of a thing. But dealing with Greta Gerwig, a phenomenal talent and her partner, Noah Baumbach, you know, riding beside her on this one, it's like, it it was hard not to pay attention to it. And the first trailer really, you know, kind of like sold me on the idea. So I, yeah, I was eagerly anticipating as far as like, uh, you know, the supposed showdown or anything goes, you know, I didn't didn't really care. I was just happy to have like, you know, what seemed like two interesting, hopefully good movies, you know, in the theaters. And as far as us, uh, you know, tossing aside what we had previously seen, I feel like that's very indicative of previous films like mission impossible dead reckoning, where that was what I had <laughs> immediately seen prior to these two films and just everybody else has just tossed it aside, which, which is sad because I'm a huge mission impossible guy. But yeah. Anyways, crowded yeah. summer. For sure. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which you know, it's nice to get back to that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Erica, thoughts Man, on so, this?
1: Yeah, I didn't know about the the Barbenheimer phenomenon until one of you guys used that term in our group text when we were planning the episode. So then I looked up that term it's like there are t-shirts there are all these blogs (laughs) about people planning their whole day around seeing both films and doing cosplay and i I thought there's no way i'm seeing both of these films in one day not only because there's a combined runtime of five hours but also the tone is going to be wildly different
2: one Um, definitely seems more suited to chase the other with
1: you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So I, I saw them um, a day apart. I saw the Barbie movie first, um, then saw Oppenheimer the next day. And then um, later, well, actually, a couple days ago, saw the Barbie movie again with a guy friend who is on, you could say, the fringes. He lurks, lurks on the fringes of the manosphere. So we can talk about <laughs> um, kind of you know, like the reaction of certain people to this movie, but his reaction is not what. I expected, I expected some complaints, Mm. didn't hear any. Had a good
2: time. That's good. Yeah, she did have a good time. All right. Well, Bo, how about you? Like, where was this uh, as far as, you know, directly in front of you and the peripherals or what?
0: I was aware of these two films like coming out Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the summer. I was aware that they were on the schedule. I don't think they were, or I don't think I knew they were releasing on the same day for the longest time. And then I start seeing these memes (laughs) online and there's something so fun and funny and intoxicating about that mm. i start seeing it on um facebook and twitter and instagram and everywhere and i'm seeing the posters that people are photoshopping and the posters are really fun they're and really in there, some are really good yes and then i start seeing all these stories about barbie's uh marketing team their their pr plan and their marketing plan is just insane they did so many branded deals and that's not necessarily having anything to do with Oppenheimer, but I think it was this rare situation where one movie's popularity was kind of raising up the other movie's popularity. And then that movie gets more popular and it's raising up the the other movie. And so I think over time, the studios were kind of embracing that mm-hmm. and just kind of going, you know what, this is it. Maybe they kind of planned it or they just knew these are two diametrically opposed films. So we will both be fine. And it worked out in both of their favors, I think.
2: Yeah, I think we were were all rewarded kind of with the solidarity. Everybody kind of rallied around with these two films really uh, for the greater good, I I feel. I think from the outset, one of the things I noticed and I believe, yeah, Universal wasn't too keen on, but uh, famously and maybe infamously, uh, Nolan Previously had kind of been, you know, post memento exclusively at Warner Brothers. Yes. And following, you know, Tenet and then, you know, HBO, Max, and Warner Brothers working together to destroy, you know, seemingly the theatrical distribution model <laughs> Yes. in uh, 2020 and 2021. Nolan jumped ship. He left them, you know, with a scathing note and all. So to see Warner Brothers directly compete, you know, with a big movie of their own against Nolan's next movie somewhere else. Yeah, kind of put them at odds, but it's, it's, just, it's really poetic.
0: Um, And Mm. I just never thought something like this could happen. And yeah, you're referencing the whole program they did. Was it called the popcorn program or something like that? It was basically their strategy during the pandemic. Yeah. I don't
2: fault them for trying something, but it was a little bit like letting the genie out of the bottles. Yes.
0: Once you start Mm -hmm. doing that, that's what your audience expects. And then you've got millions of subscribers and it's just this, this whole drama that we don't need to get into. Yeah. I was going to say that was just, it's interesting though. It's interesting to see that. Um, also so yeah. tried to
2: create a drinking game with every like analogy or reference to like a fallout or things like that <laughs> <laughs> so, for then, the listeners
0: at home. And then Jerry, did you say your order that you saw these in?
2: I, I knew well, so no, my order was, I supported Barbie, uh, opening weekend, nice. uh, just because I also knew that with having access to an actual IMAX screen, I really mm-hmm. wanted to plan that and, uh, then balancing, you know, my love of movies with the love of my family. I had already kind of like indulged in one near three hour movie with Dead Reckoning that week. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, I can, I can put in a two hour movie late at night with Barbie. There you go. But uh, I need to give, give my family a little bit of space before I do another like, three plus hour checkout.
0: Yeah. You're not doing the marathon in one day. No,
2: no, I did not. So (laughs) Oppenheimer, it was within a week of its release, but yeah, I just, uh, I saw it last Thursday as of this
0: recording. Nice. So you're the most fresh on it. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yes. And that's going to be helpful because, you know, we all saw the film. It's three hours. I'm not going to remember every little part, uh, nor is Erica. So I think we'll all help each other out when it comes to that. Um, I,
2: your order, yeah.
0: I did, uh, so you know how there are the preview screenings on Thursdays. Mm. That's when I saw Oppenheimer opening weekend. My parents really wanted to see it, actually. Nice. Um, this is not a movie that I think my wife would like. I saw Barbie with my wife two days later on Saturday night. Um, so I took that Thursday, uh, preview night as an opportunity to see it with my parents. It's kind of the only night they could see it with me. And then uh, my wife and I went about 48 hours later, we went to Barbie <laughs> and uh, both screenings were extremely packed yeah. and sold out. And that's another part of the experience is just, you know, Oppenheimer, you can't really tell that that's an Oppenheimer uh, audience. It wasn't like people were wearing fedoras and suspenders. And
1: I wish they had, though. I'm disappointed.
0: Some people did. Didn't. Uh, like some people across the country, I think, did that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see it. So <laughs> we just we missed out on that fun. But pack screening, um, right next to me at Oppenheimer, there was a guy who brought like uh, four kids who were around ten, and they were like running around the theater a lot. At Oppenheimer, yes, at Oppenheimer, and they actually left when there was about like forty-five minutes left, and so that was they kept like getting up and running to get snacks, and then they'd come back, very annoying. But they—they loved they That would have upset me to no end. Mm-hmm. I actually
2: yeah. ended up seeing uh, Barbie in uh, at a B and B theater. Uh, one of the things I didn't know they did—they have theaters dubbed screenplays, oh. uh, which are actually open for families to bring their children. So half—not half, maybe like a quarter of the theater is dedicated to a playground setup okay. for children. I, I went late at night, so <laughs> there were no like children like falling through like two story tubes in the dark <laughs> sure. nearby, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah the opportunity was there, so if anybody would have been bored, which yeah with Barbie, I don't think was possible, but yeah, maybe uh that family would have been better served May, I think so on the other half of this uh double bill, yeah, I think so
0: <laughs> um so yeah i I split them, had the, had the day in the middle and uh, split them across a uh, couple days uh and now, I guess we'll just get i'm I don't know, do we uh I don't really feel strongly either way about starting with Oppenheimer or starting with Barbie. You said that I think Barbie's a good chaser to Oppenheimer.
2: I mean, as far as like a viewing experience, I think so. But, you know, discussion wise, I'm I'm open. I mean, yeah, you know. Okay.
0: Well, let's start with Barbie uh, just because I think that is slightly more popular uh, at the box office. I think it is poised to become the number two or maybe even number one movie of the U.S. box office. Yeah. I think currently it's in like third place. Yeah, I don't think it'll have a hard time. Attaining yeah.
2: number two, overtaking at yeah, mm-hmm. Super Mario Brothers movie. We'll see. But uh, yeah. This... Oh, yeah, for
0: the year, it might not do those numbers, but I, I don't know what those I... numbers are, but it might pass Guardians. It might pass Spider-Man. Oh, we'll yeah. see. I, I think see it that. is. Ar- cool. It's already passed uh, Little Mermaid, which yeah. is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going into Barbie, um, I guess. Can I start with Erica. What were your overall thoughts on Barbie?
1: Well, I had no expectations whatsoever. I didn't even see the trailer. I saw the poster
3: ahead of time. didn't read
1: reviews or anything.
2: just to just to quiz you and grill you, since you are the lone female voice, what's your history with Barbie? Is there? I, I had
1: actually had a ton of Barbie dolls as a kid.
2: I was really hoping for this answer. Nice, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I did not have any kins, so which fits into this theme that Ken is kind of superfluous. <laughs> so no Ken. He's certainly like no Allen. Definitely did not <laughs> yeah. have Allen. I had an
0: Allen growing up. That's it. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I didn't. No, okay. okay, I was going
1: to say, wow, that's like, actually. I didn't know really about Allen
0: till I saw this movie. Yeah, I did I,
1: I had a bunch of a uh, bunch of Barbies. Um, I um really love styling their hair, but until I figured out how to do it well, I ruined a lot of hair. So, but I didn't <laughs> ended like, up
2: with a lot of weird Barbies. I,
1: I, <laughs> I didn't make them like as like full on weird as like the weird Barbie in the movie, but yeah. Um, yeah, not that level of abuse. But there was some hair distress. We'll
2: say <laughs> fair, fair <laughs> enough. See, I was really hoping just as, you know, most listeners probably know Erica as kind of like the resident horror cinephile here. I was really hoping for this like lost chapter, just unknown chapter of a young (laughs) Erica who did play with Barbies. So this is this is great.
1: I did have her play with some of my other toys that were not like the Barbie Universe toys. Like I had this weird plastic two header two-headed dragon and i'd have her ride it around okay so okay. a little
2: bit of like sid from toy story mixed in there yes too. Yeah. yeah or
1: Bo- book of revelations <laughs> possibly i don't know there's definitely something different there <laughs>
0: so um and now having seen barbie uh what are your thoughts on the film did you enjoy the film
1: i did enjoy it and also in like kind of that that opening scene where they're introducing like all these different women who are all barbie i'm like I had that doll, and I had that doll. So I, I, they actually did replicate the costumes and the hair like very carefully, and I just nice. appreciated that attention to detail. Um, the set designs uh, for Barbie Land were amazing. And uh, after seeing the movie, then I looked into some other materials and reviews and things like that. But there was a YouTube video from I think Architectural Digest, but they talked about the whole process of building these sets and um, choosing the color palette and all these different shades of pink they worked with
2: and depleting the world's supply of pink yeah Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) right
0: yeah they built the dream house in was it hollywood or somewhere this big house popped up yeah like life size but Mm -hmm. yeah it was it's crazy the marketing stuff they did well great i'm glad you were able to uh kind of Be reminded of those things from your childhood and see those touches in a way that maybe not everybody sees.
1: And and then, you know, like what what was more surprising, though, like I'm not surprised that they put that level of detail into like the visual elements. But I was kind of surprised that this movie was it definitely had a message. It was kind of subversive. And that's definitely something we'll talk about more with spoilers. But I mean, I had a um, had a blast with it. There were a lot of laugh out loud moments.
0: Mm hmm. Yes. My theater was loud. I mean, uh, people were howling at some of the jokes, which was really interesting and very like an of the opening weekend moment or maybe of the opening few weekends moment, you know, where you just have that first two, three weeks where the, the showings are packed. And so you're going to get that extra experience. Um, all right. So, Jared, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, yeah, well, let's talk about capitalism before communism. So, uh, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. I mean, True. yeah, Barbie, like I alluded to earlier, just on paper should not succeed much like I I, I think most people probably think back to like the Lego movie, just like, all right, we're just out here selling, selling a, a, a well known toy and product, but just like the Lego movie for me, this like succeeded on so many levels and had a lot more on its mind than I think most people would expect, especially for like a blockbuster Mm -hmm. and yeah, let's, you know, avoid like, you know, the stereotypical, like blonde type jokes there, because this does, this deals with existentialism, but is still so incredibly funny and just beyond entertaining for me. So yeah, this, uh, this, this movie like really, really worked.
0: Yeah. I was, um, honestly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I had heard great buzz about it going Mm -hmm. into it. I, Honestly had high hopes. And, um, in some ways my expectations were surpassed because I agree with you. Like, I think it was really funny, funnier than I expected. A lot of the comedy from Ken, uh, worked for me, (laughs) you know, and he is kind of the, you know, comedic relief. Um, he also has a lot of heart in the film, but that is where I was finding that aspect of enjoyment, that laughter. And that's where a lot of laughter from people around me was coming as well.
2: Yeah. I think it was uh, in 2016, Ryan Gosling kind of had the double header of uh, the nice guys and La La Land where I just, I was floored by both, but especially the nice guys with just how funny I felt mm-hmm. he was. Yeah. And, you know, here we are with him, you know, kind of like reemerging in a way. And I'm just like, he, he just hasn't lost a step, but.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm convinced yeah. he can do any role now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I was already convinced of that from a while back, but I just watched. Uh, I mean, Beach is at the top of his resume. So you do (laughs) that. Yeah, always lead with that. Um, But I just watched Crazy Stupid Love like a few weeks Mm. ago for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, that's that's terrific. Yeah, so there's range there that I saw. But uh, yeah, I saw this with my wife and she was chuckling at all those little touches too, like you, Erica, like she the opening scenes when Barbie is showering and there's no water and she's, she's pouring herself the coffee or whatever it is and nothing's coming out of the pot. And everybody was chuckling at that because they just got it. They're like, Mm -hmm. I know what they're doing. Totally. And
2: and yeah, I can't go much longer without just giving extreme kudos to the commitment of Margot Robbie and how well she plays Barbie embodies it in Mm -hmm. like every aspect. But yeah, like, you know, watching it, there was a lot of, you know, uh, movement attributed to the toys. And I saw a lot of it just like in the way like kids would play with a toy, you know, whether she's like literally floating down from the top level of her dream <laughs> yes. house to the bottom, or being dropped, uh, <laughs> yeah. things like that, that I'm just yeah. I'm like this. Yeah, this is they're they're thinking through this on so many different ways and being inventive with it and creative. It was great. I, yeah. Once we get to spoilers there's like a minor dip in the, in the film for me. One part that didn't like really work, but still like on on the whole, I really look forward to revisiting this and I'm, I'm thrilled that I have two daughters that I can't wait to like Mm. show this, this movie to.
0: That's awesome. That's so good. Um, Yeah. I feel like everybody can take something away from this, whether you're someone who is just a guy, you might feel like going into this movie. Oh, maybe am I just going to identify with Ken? I think, (laughs) you know, there are some things closer to the end of the ken storyline that might ring true for you I think and so, yeah. uh but i think you can take away things from barbie as well and so uh again like the movie works really well when it's funny but i think it also has really tender moments mm-hmm. where the movie has heart and i think this is where greta gerwig is adding some great uh you know, a a layer that I think other filmmakers wouldn't have. And so um, there is a scene with Barbie sitting with someone at like a bench or a bus stop. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to say much more than that, but there's this tender moment that happens kind of in the middle of the film. And it's showing that Barbie is thinking about the world around her. And it's Mm -hmm. showing that she's uh, kind of compassionate and and just wants to spread love. And I found that really refreshing. You know, it's Mm -hmm. she's not this superficial vision of beauty and that's it. Yeah. Um, and then also I just appreciated that the film was really fearless about poking fun at Mattel. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh
1: <laughs> which, yeah. That was great. Will which, Ferrell's which, character. Is just, I know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Again, to,
2: uh, to borrow from the Lego movie. Yeah. They borrowed Will Ferrell essentially in a very similar type of role. Uh, Mattel's CEO here, Lord business in the Lego movie and things yes. like that. But, yeah. uh, Yeah. Great observation. um, Yeah. And you know that uh, the behind the scenes story on that park bench scene, which really is, is tender and just, just kind of beautiful and poignant. Um, Yeah. You know, a lot of people could see that. And this is where I'm sure, you know, studio execs are just kind of like noting to death and observing what could be trimmed. And Gerwig was, kind of pushed maybe or at least you know suggested to remove that scene mm-hmm. and you know she stood up for it and said you know no you know not only said like the heart of the movie but you know without that scene i don't know what i'm doing with this movie yeah and yeah i think it's and, and it's something like that that's just extremely memorable that uh just kind of like threads a theme throughout
0: yeah definitely um yeah, there's, and I think there are more of those as we get to the end, um, as we introduce some new characters. Um, there is a mother and daughter mm-hmm. uh, that, that show up partway through the movie, and they're kind of threaded throughout as well. And um, I guess that's where I start to think about some of my dislikes with Barbie, mm. where kind of like you, Jared, there's like a moment, and maybe it's actually an extended period of time, maybe closer toward the end of the movie, where I feel like things get a little messy or fuzzy when it, when it comes to what I'm supposed to focus the most on. Right. Um, I'm trying to be vague, you know, staying away from spoilers. Um, but I think coming away from this, what doesn't make it a 10 out of 10 for me, so much of it did work. Uh, but I think about halfway to two thirds of the way through, um, there starts to be this like combination of things or overlapping of things. Um, there are characters introduced and then they sort of take a break and I'm flip-flopping between a couple of ideas. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I might get more into that in spoilers, mm-hmm. but that was something that jumped out at me as a little distracting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Although before uh, we and teasing enough,
1: we do get to spoilers. I also have to mention this movie had so many different Easter eggs and references to other things in pop culture and other movies that I did really get a kick out of that, even though some of the jokes were kind of, goofy like the opening scene that's like uh the 2001 a space odyssey parody i know i i, 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 I did laugh at that but I, was like, I
2: and that was and see that was like the teaser trailer for this movie and when i saw that that's when you know i was like okay yeah they're they're, <laughs> they're onto something here to the point where you know saying i'm was unsullied for the most part with like oppenheimer or i was already mm-hmm. in the bag so i started to avoid i kind of wish i hadn't seen that teaser trailer because i loved it so much i was thrilled to see it at the beginning of the movie, but, uh, yeah. To witness it for the first time in a, in a theater would have been, yeah, I think something mm-hmm. more special. For yeah. Me,
0: but. I remember seeing that teaser for, you know, months ago and thinking this is genius. And then it's the opening scene. It's kind of like the framing device. And I go, mm. wow, they're like using it frame <laughs> for frame. <laughs> and I've still found it effective. Oh, yeah, And, uh, I laughed at like the girl smashing the Barbie. I thought yeah. it was really good. So I could probably watch that a few times and not get tired of it. Um, I agree with Erica about the impeccable uh, production design as well. Uh, just incredible! I could see this being nominated for an Oscar for production I, design. Oh yeah, could too
1: definitely. Uh-huh. I mean, I
2: think yeah, yeah, yeah costumes yeah, this, and this should land in a number of of categories. So, yeah. I mean, you know, if 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 we can nominate and maybe rightly so, like a big popcorn movie like Top Gun Maverick last year for Best Picture, something like this, I think equally. Deserves to to be in that conversation, let alone you know Margot Robbie for lead actress, mm-hmm. Gosling for supporting, it and things like that. And yeah, like production design, clearly mm-hmm. it
0: does feel possible. Um, does do either of you have any other like praises or critiques? You know, I just overall
2: is I I know, just know when a movie's gonna kind of like stay with me and be fun to talk about because I remember coming home and just describing it to my wife and just some of the things that were happening throughout, like such great ideas, weird Barbie for one. When oh, yeah. I started talking <laughs> about weird Barbie, uh, like my wife perfectly understood. It. Yeah. Cause you know, we're starting to accumulate some weird dolls in our house right now too. Sure. But we started just like laughing at that mere concept and it's executed perfectly and played perfectly by Kate McKinnon. Mm-hmm. Also when I told her about, you know, um, the discovery of one character's—it's um, hard not to like go into spoiler territory here. But as far as like one character discovering how the uh, the world operates in another way mm-hmm. in a particular word, both oh. uh, both mm-hmm. her and I just started laughing. And sure. uh, so to be able to describe something in a film and to be laughing about it to get somebody who hasn't seen it laughing about it—I think just you know speaks to how successful it is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else?
1: Um, yeah, you know, like I, my rather minor critique is definitely more of a spoiler discussion. Mm.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. We can get to that, uh, very soon. Just one last thing I wanted to bring up. It's a weird reminder of something. It came up while you were talking about weird Barbies. I realized there was something in the back of my mind that weird Barbie was reminding me of, and it's from the movie, small soldiers, Oh, from wow. nineteen ninety-eight, I yeah. want to say. Yeah. I used Joe to watch Dante's. it all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Joe Don- mm-hmm. Dante's film. And that one had the Barbie uh knockoffs. They were called Gwendy dolls. <laughs> and there are Gwendy dolls that are very much like weird Barbies because they've been played with really hard and <laughs> okay. they're they're grotesque. <laughs> oh. I would I would go so far as to call them grotesque <laughs> wow, Gwendies. <okay>. Okay. <laughs> um so look up Gwendy dolls. Uh when you look up images of them, you actually see how weird they get in that nice. movie. That kind now. of haunting, <laughs> yeah. Um, but unless there are any other overall thoughts, we will now move into wow. our first spoiler section of the episode for
3: Barbie. Could it really be that secret lies with Charlotte? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent breathe is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that,
0: he's gone. All right. So uh, what do we want to jump to when it comes to spoilers? Well, just to jump
2: jump back to what I was trying to allude to, Ken discovering the word patriarchy. I mean, it's just it's so funny. And um, yeah, not that I want to like give any airtime to people who maybe bristled at that in certain groups and such but I don't know like if you're truly threatened by that yeah there's a lot more going on with you than uh, just a, a long running joke in a Barbie movie right mm-hmm. uh, but again yeah it's got these ideas and it does it plays with the fact that yeah in Barbie land Ken is essentially a second class citizen
1: it's true. Uh, not
2: unlike you know how you know women have been viewed for so long so the flip flop of that is yeah when they come to the real world uh, you know can anybody name that order that they had to go in? Like oh, by, not the by plane, like they, by there's by, the car, boat, by, there's, by roller, yeah. like tandem bike, yeah. rollerblading. I'm
0: trying to think of <laughs> it, but I think I'm thinking yes, of the spaceship. sequence where they go backwards. I know. So I'm getting it mixed up. Maybe. Yeah.
2: Anyways. So once they land in the real world and can realize men's place in the real world. It it sends him off down his own path and journey, which uh, leads to a tremendous third act. But anyways, that uh, I just wanted to clear that
0: up. It's a great character moment of showing his naivete Mm -hmm. and just discovering like, like he's being born. I, I I feel like that's the direction he was given when they shot say, that yeah. scene. Uh, like the, you're being born as a patriarchal loving man in this moment.
2: Yeah. It's it's his own sequence of nearly dawn of man, like 2001 mm-hmm. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. It is,
0: it right. Is. And uh, it's a great montage of just seeing all these bros <laughs> doing the fist bump, like great workout, man. And then there's like a business meeting and the woman gets pushed out and he yep. is just, you know, <laughs> j- jaw dropped, wide opened. <laughs> Uh, or wide eyed. And it I laughed so hard when they reunite. It's Barbie and Ken. Mm. Like, you know, Ken, I have something to tell you. And he's like, I just discovered something. Okay, let's say it at the same time, men rule the world. <laughs> it's just so, oh my God. And I'm obviously laughing at it, right? Yeah. Because it's just so ridiculous uh, what he's doing. Yep. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I also love how he thinks that patriarchy is a system where men and horses rule everything. Yes. <laughs> <You> know, like-
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Just one <laughs> skewed perception about that really takes it down this direction. Um and then we see that manifest more later. We take a break from that idea. Uh Ken drops out of the movie for a bit, mm. and then when Barbie comes back, <laughs> things yeah. have changed. And uh what did we think of that whole sequence of kind of seeing how Barbie land has changed?
1: Oh man. I thought um I, I've like I've also lurked in some unsavory parts of the Internet and places, you know, certain fetid subreddits will say mm. not that I like talk with anyone there, but I kind of like to see what's being said. But I'm like, oh, no, like Ken's gone full men's rights activist slash incel because he's bad about being friend zoned on top of, well, like legitimately being disenfranchised because he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a job. Uh, none of the kids do. Well, his job is beach. Yes. Uh, but so I guess you could say they become <laughs> Kins rights activists, uh, which I've been wanting <laughs> right. to say that phrase <laughs> right. for a while. It's good. It's really good. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: but it's like, I feel like, although like in their, that artificial Barbie land situation, that's kind of the only society in which like men's rights activism would even remotely make sense.
0: Um, um, yeah, there's, there's that criticism uh, that I just don't think is uh, it doesn't really stand on any ground of that. This movie is unkind toward men or paints men in that kind of light. And we were talking about this before the episode a little bit. And I actually think the message of the movie is, is quite the opposite. I think it's trying to lift everybody up at the end. It's trying to show how everybody like no one should come from a mold. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of playing into a pun with toys, how toys are made, but, um, you know, uh, men don't have to, uh, men and women don't have to be attached to the other to be happy and things like right.
1: that. Right. And on that note, okay, like forget watching this alongside Oppenheimer, watch it alongside Fight Club because mm. there's a lot of overlap between the two, you know, like you're not the things you own. You're not your boyfriend or girlfriend. It is a way better uh,
2: double feature than me thinking
1: of that in GI Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And and there's like both movies have a lot of commentary about toxic masculinity. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, Yeah. this could be like the double feature we all really need. (laughs) Although there are definitely some connections between Barbie and Oppenheimer that we can get into, although it's maybe not in good taste, but it's possible to find connections.
0: Yeah. No. Um, What are some expanded thoughts on that?
1: On the connection between the two? Okay. So um, Barbie was... uh, Barbie movie based on a product that was first manufactured in Japan and became extremely popular mm-hmm. in the United States. Oppenheimer is about something manufactured in the United States. It became popular on Japan.
0: Yeah. There's oh, that. Wow. Um
1: And I also read something about someone involved with the development of the atomic bomb. who also then went on to design like more from the engineering standpoint, like How Barbie is put together, how her like different joints are, you know, Hmm. molded and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there's like, that's another weird connection. And I don't remember the guy's name offhand, but it's, there are some like odd real life connections.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a little bit for sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's kind of morbid when you start thinking about it uh, for more than a few minutes. But yeah, you can find a connection with a lot of those things. Maybe that's
2: really what triggered Barbie's thoughts of death. Suddenly, at the beginning of that movie,
0: yeah, the the real life people playing with her were also watching Oppenheimer Mm -hmm. at that moment, and (laughs) it was precisely the scene. I won't even get into that. Yeah, I won't.
2: Spoilers for real life, but uh a supercut of like that line of dialogue, just cutting to the end shot of Oppenheimer. (laughs) Yeah, I,
1: I think like some AI program put together a fusion of um like the Barbie and Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer trailers in a way that actually made sense. And it was kind of creepy. And it, I made mean, it look like Barbie yeah. was working on oh, the A-bomb weird. and stuff. Oh yeah. It's, there, it's odd. You know? I want to see that.
0: If you find that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll have to, to find that again. <laughs> uh, well, Bo,
2: for you uh, going back to kind of like maybe what wasn't working so well for you uh, in Barbie, do you want to?
0: Yeah. So I think a lot of it hinges on They introduce America Ferreira's character Mm -hmm. and her daughter. I'm sorry, I don't have the daughter Uh, actress's name. The
2: character's name was Sasha Sasha. something Greenblatt. Uh, Hold on, I think I've got it. Ariana Greenblatt. There you
0: go. Um, So they introduce uh, this mother named Gloria and her daughter Sasha. And that's the moment where I thought, oh, okay, here is the new heart of the movie. Like Mm -hmm. we're following Barbie and we find out that these are sort of the real people who are having these thoughts and they're kind of extending, they're, they're being transported back and changing the world of Barbie land. This is where it's coming from. Now this is going to be the heart of the film. And I just feel like these characters were uh, put off to the side. Uh after, after about maybe 20 minutes of really good agency and importance, they then kind of took a back seat to all this other stuff happening. And I get that they want to wrap up the Ken stuff. They Mm. have this new conflict back in Barbie Mm. land. But what it ends up feeling like overall for me is that it feels like Greta Gerwig knows that she is only going to make one Barbie film maybe. (laughs) And she's like squeezing in all this stuff uh, into the plot. And so that's why the third act just started to feel overstuffed Mm. and unfocused. Do you share that? Opinion? Do you see where I'm coming from?
2: I definitely kind of see where you're coming from as far as like those characters are concerned. I think, you know, America Ferreira still gets some some great moments. Uh, Obviously, you know, her view uh, of women in the real world Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to kind of like um, bring back all the Barbies who remained in Barbie land after Barbie left. So like Issa Rae and uh, so many uh, others you know, they're, they were kind of, like, put under the spell of Ken and all the other Kens and the discovery of patriarchy. <laughs> and so they had to get, like, snapped out of it. And so America Ferrera has this uh, this speech that she just starts rattling off, like, just, like, all the contradictions and double standards that women face in a day-to-day life brings them back to, like, their, you know, original thinking and things like that. So I think America Ferrera, yeah, she's given a little bit more to do. the The daughter, Sasha, like, she gets a kind of a tremendous moment when Barbie comes face to face with her in a school cafeteria and she just oh, yeah. decimates her. Yeah. So she gets this kind of like one great moment. And then maybe aside from, you, you know, seeing her like kind of mom start to succeed because, you know, you want to see kind of like that relationship repaired. It uh, just doesn't seem uh, like she's more than just a catalyst for her mom in a way. So it doesn't get kind of like all those moments and yes, in a movie that's, doing so much. Um yeah, I they I would agree they get a little bit of short shrift.
0: It feels mm-hmm. like the daughter specifically might be there to just help create a connection of Gloria back to Gloria's own childhood. Right? Almost like yeah. to show that she can remember back to when she was that age. It feels like that is the function right. of that character. And so maybe a lot of my problem just rests with those two characters, just rests with um the with Sasha
2: and I think yeah the only so so where the movie dipped a little bit for me was such a great realization and understanding of like Barbie land and then you know they travel over to the real world where I, I guess I just expected it to be more of like the real world um, and to some effects and to some instances it is it's still it's still a little bit heightened but especially with the introduction of like Mattel and the execs there, <laughs> for me, like they're still kind of playing by like Barbie Land rules or the way they were acting in yeah, like hyperbole. So I was just Very a little
1: cartoonish. So yeah. there,
2: there, I was just like, well, this doesn't seem too <laughs> different. But thing is, when you have game players like Will Ferrell and everything, it's easy enough to go along for the ride, and mm-hmm. I did, and it is still you know fairly entertaining. But yeah. Just just as far as like kind of, you know, uh, where it all went, that section just kind of like came down a bit for me just because I felt like, yeah, they maybe like lost the handle a bit before just kind of like getting to the third act, which Mm -hmm. has just, uh, yeah, you know, along with America for speech. The use of Matchbox 20's push
0: (laughs) was was wow. I mean, I want to push you around. Exactly. I mean, I (laughs) just like (laughs) this this anthem for (laughs) men uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) to see this campfire scene with Ken's across the beach playing this, playing it at their Barbies. Yeah. Um, One of them's
0: at the drum kit. <laughs> yes. It's just
2: it, it, it was it was hilarious. And then we get a full-on like musical number of like an the the, again showdown. Yeah,
1: the, the Ken musical number is probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Was, yeah, yes. Very catchy song, just hilarious, uh, great choreography.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I loved that was just so impressive, just with like, yeah, the choreography, the number of people on screen. Preceding that, we've got the fight, right? That's the mm-hmm. Ken fight right before that. Um, just genius. You don't think a fight is going to go in that direction, mm-hmm. and then it does. <laughs> um, I, going back to the executives, I was a little distracted with just yeah. They go to Barbie Land. Um, I agree. Like looking back now, it is kind of strange that they behaved that way in the real world. I guess it didn't bother me in the moment, but that that makes sense. Um, but then they go to Barbie Land. And Will Ferrell and all of his you know, executive guys, they kind of just disappear. And then they show up at the end and they're like, oh, hey, we're in the movie still. Right. Um, that, I guess that's where another thing felt like it was maybe missing or just...
2: They just had to figure out a way to wrap it up somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah. it was so crowded that they had to wrap up all this stuff or, and we just...
1: Yeah, maybe we'll see some deleted scenes when it comes maybe. out on Blu-ray. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that's the kind of thing where just adding one more scene with them can sometimes... Just add the context you need, um, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't feel like they're hiding in a bush somewhere, and then they pop out. Um, that's kind of the effect <laughs> that that gave me.
1: Yeah. So,
2: so Erica, what what were some other criticisms you had?
1: Well, I mean, my my one criticism is like more ideological. Which I mean, I'm a little surprised. I would say this. I like, I am super feminist, um, and I I saw the second time I saw this, it was with a a guy friend who, like I said, is kind of likes hanging hang out on the edge of the manosphere, but he's not, like, totally pilled, like, with mm-hmm. MRA stuff. Um, but I thought maybe he would have some complaints, like, well, it's like, you know, maybe it's a little too feminist propaganda. The, the, the Kins are still not being treated badly. At the end, I was still feeling bad for the Kins, because it's like, I, I was thinking they should push for a more egalitarian society, which, I mean, they start to, but it's like they're still not going to give the Kins, like, equal power or, like, the same tier of jobs that the Barbies right. get. It's not going like to be the, girls
2: night every night. Yeah, but,
1: but a lot of the time, and it also it's like, oh, you can't be on the Supreme Court, but we'll give you some, like, lower circuit court <laughs> yeah. you know, positions, that kind of thing. So I thought, well, I get there, I also get there like trying to say it's sort of like the opposite of the real world, where, like, well, sure. women haven't like fully right. achieved Equality, even though we're further along, than it's we less than equal, be.
0: but it's like that but ratio just yeah, flipped now. Right.
1: But I, I kind of thought, well, just shouldn't, shouldn't the message be more like, well, we're going to strive to make it equal, you no. know, it, at least in the future, like gradually bring it that way. But it's like, Haha, ha, you're still like lower tier, it, Ken. It did you know, whatever. Feel a
0: little dismissive, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. So I yeah, mean, that was my only, moment, but, yeah.
1: uh, like, my only complaint. Interestingly, like the guy I saw it with, like, he wasn't offended mm-hmm. by any of it. He laughed out loud mm-hmm. through the movie. He wasn't mm-hmm. He didn't feel like it was an anti-man film at all. So yeah.
0: Well, Ken, at the end, you know, I think the the last song that we have before that final kind of wrap up scene with everybody, that's when he's singing the "I'm Just Ken" yeah. song, <laughs> and just in the lyrics of that song, you see the evolution of how he's thinking about himself in this world. And at first he is singing, you know, doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried. I have feelings that I can't explain. They're driving me insane. Um, All my life have been so polite, but I'll sleep alone tonight. But then just by the end of the song, he's saying, I'm just Ken and I'm enough and I'm great at doing stuff. So, hey, check me out. I'm just Ken. My name's Ken and so am I because they're all popping <laughs> in. Um, but hey world, check me out. So it's like he is, you know, gaining that confidence. He's gaining that agency. He's mm-hmm. doesn't have to have the girlfriend to be happy. You mm-hmm. know, so uh-huh. I thought that every message we needed about Ken was reflected just in that. And that I guess yeah. that worked for me, but I also see where you're coming from. Yeah,
1: yeah and I, I do love that musical piece, though, and it, it does show his character development. I also just love Ken's costuming when he's, like, trying to, you know, be a manly man. He's got that, that pimp coat, you know, that yes. pimp coat I in mean, his...
2: They, they show that, like, image of, like, Sylvester Stallone in the, like, prime, like, yeah, 70s, 80s yeah. in, like, this, like, <laughs> fur coat. And so he's donning in it.
1: <laughs> and that, that uh, belt buckle that at first glance looks like the Metallica logo, but it says Ken, but it has, like, this <laughs> the spiky edge letters, you know?
2: <laughs> yep. I mean, and, and that... To, to have like a, a third act climax like that, that is so engaging, but so purposeful because obviously the ploy of turning all the cans against each other and this big musical number uh, bursting through it uh, was so all the Barbies could regain control um, of Barbie land and everything. And so the final like denoment, the final note of that scene after they get done singing is their realization that they were supposed to get cr- – to court and like make sure and and vote and vote and and Ryan Gosling just again in perfect comedic time he's like oh yeah we were were supposed to do that
0: today and then hard cut to all (laughs) the Barbies in the courtroom (laughs) love it love it Uh, it's it's just filled with so many smart jokes like whip smart humor um, that also threads beautifully with its messaging Um, any other spoilerish topics you wanted to bring up
1: Hmm.
2: Um, Uh, the mic drop uh, the final final line of the movie is a total mic drop. Oh, yeah. I mean, holy smokes. As far as. Yeah. So
0: tell us what happens oh, yeah, at the yeah. end <laughs> with Barbie.
2: Oh, man. And, and again so and again. And you know what? Maybe I'm going to let Erica uh, tell the joke. <laughs> but uh, going back to my slight issues as far as like how these worlds work, Barbie ultimately is able to just become a human. Because mm-hmm. as Ruth, the creative Barbie tells her, uh, played by Rhea Perlman in the movie, she's always had the ability to. I don't, I, again, this movie is so fun. You just kind of go along with it. You don't necessarily need to understand the logic, but anyways, I'll set it up uh, (laughs) that Barbie does in fact go into the real world to become become a woman. And she's traveling in a car with America Ferrer and her, and her daughter. And so, yeah, go ahead, Erica.
1: Yeah. So she um, gets into an office, gives the receptionist her name and the receptionist is like, what are you here for today? She's like, I am here to see my gynecologist, and she's just super excited about it. Credits, and, yeah, and then the credits, and it's like that—that that line did like floor me. And like when I saw it the second time, my friend just lost it. And it's like, yeah, they—they they did kind of get so much into the uh, almost into the weeds with all the deep stuff. Like, what does it mean to be human, and what does it mean that you know you. You are mortal, but you—you're the one who creates meaning and creates ideas. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're thinking on these big kind of existential mm-hmm. things, and then like she's just super excited that she finally has genitals, since <laughs> yes. Barbies and Kens don't. Like, yes. That was just a yeah, that that was a hilarious little.
2: Although, yeah, little, you know, like
1: joke at the end.
2: According mm-hmm. to Ken, in an earlier scene when they first go into the real yeah. world, uh, he has all the genitals. So, yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> not good right? About that. Yeah, I forgot about
0: that. <laughs> It does feel like they took this idea of her embracing humanhood and like womanhood. Mm -hmm. And they thought, how do we distill that down into one really clean idea? (laughs) That's also funny. And, uh, they did it perfectly. Yeah. That's, I think that's what it is, is, Mm -hmm. um, not, I'm going to, you know, find my career. I'm going to find which Barbie I'm going to be. You know, right. like I'm not like going to be generic I, Barbie. I actually thought that's where it was going I, to go. I thought she was like,
1: like at a job interview mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, She's than that.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's how they kind of set it up. They, <laughs> they make it look kind of generic. You don't know. It's great. So, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, I, I'll say my one final thought coming out of the other side of Barbie and the enormous success it has had and will continue to have. And now we have Greta Gerwig. Uh, uh, You know, supremely planted atop, you know, the best of the best filmmakers working today, which is great. Hopefully, hopefully opening the door for more people like her. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stump again for one more time for Kelly Fremont Craig, who's had a similar career, but maybe a little bit more underrated for Greta Gerwig. Her first movie was Edge of Seventeen, came out just shortly before Greta Gerwig's Love Edge of Seventeen. And then Greta Gerwig followed that up with a beloved American novel, Little Women. And this year we have Kelly Fremont Craig with her next movie, another beloved American novel with Are You There, God It's Me, Margaret. Mm. Um, And again, Kelly Fremont Craig is not getting like the huge success, like maybe audience wise. Critically, Mm -hmm. she's, you know, being received very well. But it's like, okay, I really want Kelly Fremont Craig to still be able to do more movies. And it's like, okay, she may not get Barbie. Let's give her like Polly Pocket. Let's give her Shopkins, whatever. We know Polly Pocket's coming. So let's just, yeah.
0: I wonder how much of that has to do simply with, you might scoff because I'm just talking about awards, but- with the momentum, the the what is it? Five years, uh, six years since Lady Bird, mm. and the momentum of Greta Gerwig's name being in the Oscars. Yeah, talking about that movie, uh, and just that attention. And
2: Little Women, like uh, being a hundred million plus movie at the box office, yeah. which I don't think anybody maybe would have on the outset predicted. But with how well it was done and just the handling.
0: Uh, and I, I've heard, maybe you can, uh, let me know if I'm mistaken, but I've heard that Greta Gerwig's next project or projects is for Netflix to, yeah. and it's for hmm. the Narnia films? Chronicles oh, of Narnia. I, did hear about I that. yeah I'm
2: conflicted on that front. Okay. I really am oh, yeah. so
0: I wonder since Kelly Fremont Craig seems to kind of always line up the releases accidentally, <laughs> I wonder what the parallel will be there. I or, or I don't know. Yeah
1: I, I did love the Narnia books as a kid. So Yeah I we're going through a, them with with our kids it. right now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: There's great lore in those and mm-hmm. I liked moments from some of the First films they made in the mid two thousands. Yeah, we got we got three of them.
1: Okay, with the movies, but I didn't feel like the movies quite captured the no. books for me. Yeah.
0: I always loved the Magician's nephew, and I they haven't that adapted one. that one. They yet. need to.
1: <laughs>
2: Um. Sadly, the movies only made it through the amount of books that I read as a child. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I did Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. I did Prince Caspian, and I did Voyage of the Dawn I mean, uh, treater.
1: Okay, uh, if some, if anyone adapts to the Last Battle, they're going to be traumatized kids. Oh, <laughs> like, this, yeah, that's a rough one. <laughs> Everyone's dead. <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, that
0: that one's violence. The magician's nephew, I think. Chronologically, is the first, the first one. Yeah. yeah.
2: And mm-hmm. the, the set of books we got for our kids actually puts them chronologically That's as right. well, even nice. though we're worst, we still start with Lion
0: Witch. Well, that one's course. only like the second or third, I want to say. Yeah, it's but, not too yeah. far out of okay. order. But. Cool. Well, uh, then if it's okay, we can move on. We can do a hard left turn into Oppenheimer. Yeah, literally land, a left into, turn. Yeah. From <laughs> blondes to bombs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's all uh, get on the bus to Los Santos. <laughs> and uh, Wait, Los Santos
2: or Los Alamos
0: or Los Alamos. Thank right. you. Yes. Um, so Oppenheimer, we've talked about seeing these two movies. Uh, this is, uh, you know what? I I'll kind of start with my overall thoughts. I thought Oppenheimer was fatiguing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this movie hey. is three hours it's long, only mm. three hours, oh, only three hours. And you know what? Each and every year, we're seeing more of these three-hour movies, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, especially like these last two years, there's just so many. And this is like
2: another- a, a common discussion it my is, wife and, and I have. Like she will often just look at me. She's like, "Our movie's just getting longer." I'm like, "They ah. are." Mm-hmm. You know, the '90s we still had things like Titanic, and you know, into the 2000s with Pearl Harbor. But yeah, um, it is. So you know, with with kids, anytime I see like a runtime of 100 minutes or less, I'm like. I don't care if it's good or bad. You probably got me. Yeah. I can give you that time. Mm.
0: Um, But I will say this is one of the ones where I didn't really feel the time passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because it is just so dense with engaging dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. really the heart of this movie is people talking. And I thought it was really epic, even though it's really mostly about people talking. Yeah, And mm-hmm. I think that's an incredible feat. And I'm like you where I will watch any Christopher Nolan movie. You know, I love all of his films. I've seen all of his films. Um, And I just rewatched Memento, actually, after seeing Oppenheimer, because I was kind of on a Nolan kick. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I think Nolan does a lot of things really well. I think there are things that he still has not learned how to do. And (laughs) I think we'll talk about those things (laughs) in a a moment. But um, so, you know, the movie wasn't perfect for me. And I think where it wasn't perfect... Has to do with just how it handles some of its side characters. Oh, for sure, um, specifically yeah. female characters. i to um, say, yeah,
2: that's uh, the bane of Nolan's existence. I don't know how I can the say bane yeah. the Dark Knight rises, rises better than that, yeah, yeah, but anyway, we understand your effort. Yes. Uh,
0: I'll just pretend like you <laughs> had a fully formed. I know. Uh, sometimes, uh, pun there. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the puns come out without the
2: realization. Right. I'm like, I, I did that on purpose, but I can't really. Truly tie that up. Yeah, most, I
1: don't know if I can do the Bane voice. Oh, I it? Oh, <laughs> oh, be, oh, no
2: characters, be a fun podcast for
3: all
0: just to do a Bane voice. The, from the, rest of the comes from the back of the throat. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually haven't done that in a long time. That was, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the female characters are a little problematic in this movie. But do they have some interesting moments? Do I think mm-hmm. they kind of transcend uh, the treatment that? Female characters are given in other Nolan movies a little bit, but the bar is pretty low.
2: Is that is that also just for the, the sheer quality of actors performing them? I mean, we, I we, we it, got Emily Blunt and Florence
0: Pugh there. I think part of that, I think it's part of that. And then part of it is they do get some script moments. They do. Specifically Emily Blunt. Yeah. I'm thinking of one scene mm-hmm. closer to the, the end. Toward the end, yes. Um, which we might get into more. But uh, yeah, so I thought that it was, you know, uh, a little bit better. Uh, maybe more more depth there, but also there's some superficial characteristics going on where it just feels like oh you're this feels like a first draft with these characters i'm not sure Christopher are like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but he uh,
2: interestingly as said in several interviews that he wrote this script from the perspective of oppenheimer yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh so i don't know if.
0: Is that an excuse or yeah, reason? Just,
2: and that's that's the thing too. It's like, is he identifying? I mean, you know, a genius talking about a genius sort of thing here. Like, I, I get this guy, so I can see it from his perspective. Not to right. say, not to not to say in the least, either one of them was dismissive or treat you know treat women uh, you know in real mm-hmm. life less than. I mean, Christopher Nolan, his, you know, his partner, his producing partner and life partner, Emma Thomas, mm-hmm. is behind him one hundred percent with all sure. his movies. But
1: yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I mean, not I mean, some people just aren't good at really like writing, you know, other genders. Yeah. So I, yeah, I can that's, be part that's of it. just it. That. And also, I have not read the book that Oppenheimer is based on, American Prometheus. I mm-hmm. don't know how the book handles uh, the, you know, the depictions of those, how those women were in real life, how close it was, if it, right. you know, fleshes them out more, if it's really just more focused on him. So I, that, that'd be another thing I guess I'd consider with this adaptation is like, what's the. Source material. Yes. Right. That's yeah.
0: a great call out, Erica. Like, I'm in the same boat. I have not read that book. I'm just for everybody's context, I'm coming into this movie, you know, with just little surface knowledge of who Oppenheimer was, same. about the, yes. the Manhattan Project. It's something I feel like I never really studied in school and I never did any extracurricular learning on my own Mm -hmm. uh, of this. I didn't even know it involved this many scientists. I assumed it was more than like a handful of scientists, but I didn't know they built this town. I didn't know about Los Alamos. And so uh, it was kind of educational, too. So Mm -hmm. I'll give it that. Um, Another dislike I think I would point out is just that I think the first half hour of this movie feels a little chaotic before we really get into the groove hmm. of things, before we get into the groove of Oppenheimer um, meeting Strauss, I think that's like mm. Robert Downey Jr.'s character. I yep. think once we meet that character, we get into the tempo that this movie is most comfortable in. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that—that's pretty much all my dislikes, though. Okay. Um, otherwise, I thought that Oppenheimer was just engrossing. Um, again, I didn't feel the time passing by. There's but, some but you said it
2: was fatiguing earlier on. So what did you mean by that necessarily?
0: Fatiguing in that at the end of the film, it's three hours of people having these really intense conversations. Okay. People are shouting oh, by the sure. end. So
1: it's more of like an emotional yeah, fatigue. At, than, at the
0: end, yeah. I felt like I couldn't Mental do anything fatigue. else. Yeah. But I, I think another reason why it's fatiguing is because I am paying such close attention to all these words being flung at me right. the whole time that it's engrossing and because it's three hours long and because it is this dense script, Mm -hmm. uh, it just wears me out, man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a lot of words. Um, but I love, uh, a lot of the performances, you know, especially the bit characters, the side characters, there's, uh, Josh Hartnett in this movie. Uh, there's David Krumholtz in this movie.
2: I mean, they, they just keep popping up and I really was proud of myself for like spotting a number of them. There's one towards the end uh, playing a significant historical figure that I missed entirely. I didn't know who it was, but they're a famous actor. Like, he, act-
0: you missed the actor, you missed yes, the, who they were playing. Okay, no, no, I missed the it.
2: actor, and they're a famous actor for playing under heavy prosthetics and makeup. So, oh, I know can who can you're talking that about. I
0: know who you're so talking I missed about. That, I but clocked that immediately, actually. Um, um, fine.
2: Did you did you clock James Remar?
0: No. All right. I did not. Well, then <laughs> uh,
2: I'll take pride in that one. Well, but that's that's the thing,
0: though, is that there are so many cast members in this there that are. everybody, th- someone's favorite actors in this movie, like, somehow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We also or every kinda, actor is someone's favorite actor, mm-hmm. I should say. Mm-hmm. Right,
2: beyond movie. like the marquee names that you know about. Yeah, uh, the odd return of Casey Affleck is in yeah, there. Right? I, heard it, I heard his voice and they were, you know, because <laughs> of his character, they were kind of keeping it a bit of a secret. But his voice is so distinct and he's just been off screen for maybe one reason or another that, you know, need not be gotten into. But his voice was so distinct. I was just like, I, who is that? I mm-hmm. know that. And then I saw the face and I was like, holy smokes. Yes. Man, here we are, Casey Affleck on the big screen again.
0: Yeah, and this film is mostly uh, white dudes, you know? So it is, like, <laughs> yeah. pretty much, uh, you know, your pick of—think of a white actor, <laughs> <They're> probably <laughs> and he's probably in this. So, like—but uh, they get appropriately um, confident or intelligent or creepy people, mm-hmm. depending on the role. Like, David Dasmalchian is in this movie, and, you know, he's playing that— that same uh, kind of s- like mysterious guy that he plays in every movie. Um, I love David Krumholtz in this movie. He yeah. is he has an interesting uh, conversation with Oppenheimer about his role and how he is not really um, not really feeling it compared to these other scientists. And I thought that added an interesting layer. And um, I'll just say. Another praise is that there is a scene where we're assembling the scientists. They're creating um, Los Alamos. And that was where the movie felt like it had a lot of energy, where Mm -hmm. I was like really pumped to see this coming together. It feels almost like a heist movie where you're gathering, (laughs) assembling the team. And that's where I felt like the film was really like firing on all cylinders. It's it's
2: definitely in Nolan's wheelhouse to do like uh, things like that. I mean, that's assembling the team in Inception. And Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Oppenheimer donning his costume, the fedora and all. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I, the, the close up shots of like grabbing certain things and putting them on. Might as well have been like Batman putting on his costume and things like that. And Batman Begins.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, then there is the scene kind of at the at the center of all this where they're doing a job. They're, you know, trying to figure something out. And then there's like this big climactic scene where and this is history. I mean, so we could. Talk about spoiling right, history. I was going to but...
1: say, like, how do we discuss spoilers because if people have looked into the history, they know it. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, uh,
0: it's I'm not, 80 years later. Right. So. And I'm not going to touch on a lot of the stuff that happens in, like, the third act after mm-hmm. we see. Sure. Yes. Yeah. But there is um, Project, is it Trinity? Yeah, yep, the called? Trinity the Test. The Trinity Test. And that's where um, this movie just, like, took my breath away. I could feel everybody in the theater around me mm-hmm. just, like clutching tense, yes. <laughs> yeah tense
1: yeah and and also that that's sort of like 11th hour you know crisis of like oh there's like this weather thing going on and then yes. that also it's like you know is the government gonna have time to inform our allies that we're you know going to do this or you know this the, or testing this new weapon and that kind of thing so i mean, it, it was like suspenseful um I really wish I could have seen this on an IMAX screen. That's one regret I have. Mm. Um, and I agree with Bo. It's like, yeah, usually I am like at this microphone complaining about movies being too long, and so many <laughs> of our episodes. But I did not feel like it was a three-hour-long movie. Yeah, it, the pacing was just perfect. I thought, and
0: yeah, uh, yeah, and and, then, and that that was pretty much all I wanted to say like up top. So did you want to keep going with general Um, thoughts?
1: Well, it's just, um, yeah, I, I just thought the performances were excellent. It was a very tense movie, even though it is almost just all dialogue. But, uh, I thought the, the, the test scene was very effective. I was curious as to whether he was going to show, um, like the aftermath of the, the bombs being dropped on Japan. And it's,
3: Mm.
1: not directly shown but there's sort of um things going on which i guess i don't know if that's spoiler but there it sort of happens in oppenheimer's imagination where he's imagining the aftermath of it so it is a little gruesome but it doesn't veer into exploitative territory you could say right
0: yeah i agree with that for sure Uh, yeah there's um I've, I saw some criticism online of like people wanting to see more of that aftermath. wanting and it goes back to what you said, I think, Jared. Where this movie is definitely like from his perspective, mm-hmm. and there's the moment when there are moments where he just can't quite look at the aftermath. The aftermath kind of just happens mm-hmm. in yeah. this movie off screen, and yeah. you see characters reckoning with that. But you don't, you're not forced to look at it up close unless you're kind of in his mind. And so um, I thought that was really powerful at showing perspective. You know, we mm-hmm. get all of that agony mm-hmm. without actually having to see the thing that he's thinking about every moment. So that's that's a difficult balance to achieve, I think.
1: Absolutely. And, and just based on a couple uh, reviews that I did hear, comments I heard, I thought, oh, it is going to be really gruesome because some not, no one spoiled it for me. But I heard people saying they were very disturbed and that there were some that there was a gruesome scenes. So I thought, oh, he's really going to go there. But it's like, I, I'm thinking they were referring to the scene that's going on in Oppenheimer's mind right sure. after mm, the bombs yeah. are dropped.
0: Yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit more about mm. that scene. I think because this movie is talking about history, it's hard to argue that we should have a spoiler section, but exactly. I think, <laughs> I think spoilers for this movie may be, Come down more to how the film how
1: it tells that how it story. Tells yes. the
0: story, which yeah. I
2: think uh is just another trope of like Nolan is just his non-linear fashion and yeah. how he structures it's very very clever and mm-hmm. it is just it's damn effective. I think. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you have any uh thoughts on the film? Just anywhere you can take uh, it. Anywhere.
2: Yeah, you know, I the, maybe this movie isn't a hundred percent for me, but I just will never take Nolan for granted. Uh, for the mere fact we get blockbuster filmmaking on this scale. I mean, you said, uh, you said dense and yeah, you know, Eric, you said tense. I mean, just to be able to take just something so, so complicated, you know, as far as like quantum mechanics, quantum physics, uh, the development of the atom bomb, what it took to split the atom, all these things (laughs) along with the complicated man behind it, put it into a three hour movie and expect audiences to, Get through it. Um, (laughs) He makes it so palatable, so digestible. And with it zigzagging back and forth across kind of like three distinct kind of timelines and threads, um, it truly keeps you engaged and tracking because that's the thing too. It's like, okay, do I understand what heavy water is? No, Mm. I don't. In the context of the movie though, I I 100% get it just in relation to everybody's reaction that, okay, the Germans as they're trying to attempt it, they got onto the idea of heavy water, but that's the wrong turn. So everybody on our side is cheering. Mm -hmm. So things like that beyond maybe the chemical compound being like H2O2 and things like that. I I don't know. I can't tell you anything further. So, you know, Nolan – And I I always loved it when he was with Warner Brothers because he felt like, you know, the next anointed son there like Kubrick was at (laughs) Warner Brothers because he's got the ideas of Kubrick. I feel like he's got the the blockbuster uh, style of like James Cameron and, you know, an often cited movie that he has and people easily point to. And it's a beloved movie of mine is JFK. So he's also got the narrative Mm. of stone. So working this day and age, we've got this event filmmaker that people turn up for. For a three-hour R-rated movie, that's a biopic. I mean, just think about think about this like in lesser hands, mm-hmm. what we could have been given. This this was a movie that, with those stats I just gave, opened over eighty million dollars its opening weekend. Yeah, you know, uh, which probably, is
0: great compared to other Nolan films. I, you that's know? I mean, that's true too. Which is a pretty big testament to and, its success.
2: And I just think of like an any other like kind of like traditional biopic that would have just been purely by the numbers maybe a cumulative gross of maybe like 20 million plus and maybe stodgy and formulaic filmmaking as as like what prevented us from being able to split the atom until like 1939 things like that that just you know just don't move things forward but here we've got nolan doing it on such a grand scale and yes you know uh, you know, here comes shot number two, as far as like, you know, sometimes he's subtle, sometimes he's as subtle as an atomic bomb, going <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah. it still works for, or at least, you know, it worked for me. I can't say it works for everybody. I've got issues with the third act of the film okay. and what I felt was just structural devices. Um, but still like this, I, and yeah, it's three hours and it's a lot of people talking, but I feel like it works Really hard to, you know, keep you along with it. And you can, I feel like you can just talk about scenes. Yeah. You can talk about the test scene. You can talk about the Apple scene. And people just kind of know what you're talking about and will have thoughts on it.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting that, you know, I said this movie is mostly about people talking, but there are indelible scenes. Mm -hmm. I think of a certain table that's round where there's a lot of guys talking around Mm -hmm. it. You know, I won't, um, I, I think of the apple scene, you know, I think of the marbles being dropped into the jar. All that stuff is so visual and a lot of it can tell the story so efficiently and deliver these like really crazy scientific concepts that I would never be able to understand otherwise. And it's being communicated in seconds to me. So that's, that's impressive.
2: I, I agree. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just not like trying to be a Nolan groupie or acolyte here. It's just truly trying to appreciate. Yeah. The monumental filmmaking also, you know, Critical way pulling off Barbie. That's in and of itself monumental filmmaking, too, as we talked about set designs. But, uh, yeah, just, uh, just out there knowing that he's a filmmaker that people will show up for regardless. I mean, he got a World War II movie, you know, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. you know, after you kind of thought like that genre may have been like dried up for the most part, you know, post, uh, you know, saving Private Ryan and things. But yeah, he gets people to turn out for that to like, Kind of see the way he uh, operates and the the stories he has to tell, and this in a lot of ways is kind of like the the culmination of just everything he likes to do. I mean, if you've got yeah. like your Nolan scorecard there, you mm-hmm. could like literally connect <laughs> yeah. the dots to every single movie he's uh, he's ever done. I mean, even to like Insomnia, probably maybe that along with following his like lesser known works or yeah. appreciated, but. In Oppenheimer, he's still, like, using these jarring insert shots that just kind of, like, jolt audiences, and I remember those, like, in Insomnia to allude to, like, you know, Pacino's, like, disorientation and his insomnia and, like, you know, crime and things like that, and he's doing it here to get us inside the mind, the, the chaotic mind of Oppenheimer yep. and things like that, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, the black and white, uh, the changing yeah, perspective. I was
1: about to mention that. Yeah, like that's and even like
2: using maybe like obtuse titles in a way too. Mm-hmm. That like are Fissure and matter- fusion exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm so many years removed from my high school physics class, yeah. but but I see those and I'm like, okay, he's he's trying to tell us something by putting the like these two one and two titles yeah. so close together in distinctly different ways. Yeah,
0: I thought the fissure fusion thing was interesting because. You know, basically my my knowledge of fissure and fusion is one is, you know, separating things, one's combining things. exactly. And I was trying to see the connection of that. And the more I watched the film, if I'm remembering the way the two uh, timelines are named, uh, I I remember thinking like, well, I think it would also make sense for them to be flip-flopped in their naming structure. And so (laughs) it was making me think about the relationship of titles to sequences well, um, one of my favorite things about Nolan films, and it's really, it's not in every film of his, but it's the ones that I love the most. It is in Memento. It is in Interstellar. It is in The Prestige um, and maybe Tenet. Uh, but it's the, it's the idea of looking at, oh, it's, I think it's an in inception. It's the idea of looking at a, um, an inciting incident or just one little idea and then going in a hundred directions from that um, Mm -hmm. really far away. And then coming back to that central idea later and looking at it through a slightly different lens. And I did not expect that to happen in his biopic Oppenheimer, Mm. but I was actually, you know, I'm kind of along with you where the third act gets, uh, I have some, you know, some problems with the third act, but the very end we return to that idea. We return to something. We see something again. Yeah. And I remember thinking, mm-hmm. God, he managed to do it in this one. And for me, that kind <coughs> of sums up a lot of ideas in the movie. And I guess anything else I'd want to say would be spoilers, right? Ish. Yeah. So, but love that that's in this movie. It's what I've carried with me since seeing it. So, um, any other overall thoughts? that are non-spoilery
1: well just um the performances are amazing um killian murphy is phenomenal in this uh he conveys so much just with the way he looks at people even when he's not talking Mm -hmm. um i could definitely see him gain like um at at minimum a nomination for best actor for this yep Uh, i could see the film itself getting Multiple nominations. Yeah, I was going to say be this. This is it. kind of
2: like I, I'd say in the lead mm-hmm. um, yeah. with with Barbie. I, I'd say probably not too far behind. There's several other movies I think uh, at this point, and, and as far as rewards go that you can cite. I mean, across the Spider Verse, it's the one to beat. I think for you know best animated film again. Sure, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. So I don't have anything else. Uh, I think we can go ahead and move on into. Spoilers for Oppenheimer. Could it really be that simple? secret lies for Charlotte?
3: Open the pod bay doors, hell. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent breathe is people! The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist and like that he's
0: gone so the big scene that happens that's revisited that i just love is this meeting between oppenheimer And Einstein Mm -hmm. and we see Robert Downey Jr.'s character at the beginning. I thought he was going to pull an inception on us. Mm -hmm. I thought we were going to be left out in the
2: cold like as Downey Jr. So like because they're like they're like teasing like what did he (laughs) say Mm -hmm. to Einstein that that gave him that just like made him so solemn. And I, I was like, is no one going to do that to us? But no, anyways. It was
0: great. Yeah, no. So the first time we see it, I think we're looking over Strauss's shoulder. He's like up in that building, looking out at the lawn right. next to the ponds, And then he starts walking down to them and Einstein just gives him the cold shoulder, right? He just walks mm. past. And that creates a lot of dissonance going forward, a lot of paranoia where he thinks that, you know, these scientists don't like me and now I don't like them and what a great way to sum up a lot of ideas in the movie where mm-hmm. scientists are heard, but they're not listened to, and they're disrespected. And now when a little bit of that goes the opposite direction, the amount of uh, mistreatment and distrust just swings really wildly against those scientists. And so mm-hmm. that's something that I I really hate that. It's a pet peeve. I don't even know if it's pet peeve worthy, but it is... Um, Something that I just don't like when uh, I'm not listened to, you know, or when I notice people who are experts not being listened to. Um, It's incredibly frustrating to me. And so I thought that that was just a theme woven throughout that was really beautifully summarized there at the end. Um, Did you have any reactions to that moment? Um, Seeing it either the first time from more of a distance from more of Strauss's character or second time.
2: Strauss is is a prominent figure played by Downey Jr. throughout this Mm -hmm. movie that um, factors in heavily um, and particularly in the third act that I've got, probably that's where my issues start to arise Okay, where I'm like, okay clever structure and great acting will only go so far for me as to what you're expecting me to kind of like buy in here now, kind of like later in the game. But yeah, there are those threads and you know what I what I loved about S- Strauss and uh, the dichotomy between him and Oppenheimer, it's this kind of like Mozart-Salieri uh, kind of a relationship. Where, yeah, it's like I, I'm not going to be like I'm not that guy. I'm not Mozart. I'm not the genius here. You mm-hmm. know, that's just not me. I'm I'm outside looking in, and you know, maybe I want to – and that's you know, like can sow the seeds. Of kind of yeah, this you know vitriol and you know aggression and such.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: the um, whole third act we have the um, the uh, where he's being interviewed in the room. Right? Well, we so, yeah, that. I know it was, it's like interrogation. Like, interrogation. Yeah. Thank you. We yeah. have <laughs> these
2: hearings uh, that are going back and forth between this like kind of like back room closed door hearings for Oppenheimer's security clearance that were. Um, very successfully and stealthily done by Strauss, as well as Strauss's own appointment hearing to be a member of like the president's cabinet. Yes. Uh, where it seems like they're both being grilled, even though it's repeated, I think, a couple of times in each instance that, hey, this isn't a trial, but it feels as such. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, a great parallel there. Like mm-hmm. they use the same, those very similar wording at mm-hmm. least. Um, and th- it's kind of an onslaught at this point, like it's just a gauntlet of people being interviewed and you see where people end up falling on their support or indifference Mm. or lack of support for Oppenheimer. And, um, I, I, I kind of saw all of the interrogation stuff as interesting. I found it effective. I thought there was, you know, great acting, great performances, all that stuff. But, but, Kind of in the same boat where it's like, there's all of this and it's just kind of informing this trial for, Mm. uh, Strauss. And it's like, we're giving this much screen time to this. (laughs) Uh, it's felt like a lot of buildup to, uh, this thing that I think maybe didn't need all of that runtime, but maybe Mm. I'm, maybe I'm mistaken, but.
2: What did what I, did you think? There, I
1: Erica? felt that had a good payoff, like finding out that Strauss was behind, you know, this this hearing that was intended, you know, to be a no win situation for Oppenheimer, and um, yeah, like just leaning into this whole uh, anti communist paranoia, red scare stuff that was mm-hmm. typical of that time period, and then it's like, um, and then this coming to light to light that strauss himself has a vindictive streak and um and then that torpedoes his own uh, appointment to the cabinet i thought that was actually a nice symmetry i thought it was satisfying okay. yeah there yeah. are
2: there are yeah. actually good parallels throughout the movie mm-hmm. yeah
1: and and i did like the whole uh device of showing things that are from oppenheimer's perspective in color whereas things from the strauss perspective are black and white like he sees the world in black and white sure kind of. so i thought yeah. that was I thought that was a, a cool uh, approach.
0: The movie does swing like into almost exclusively focusing on these trials, which maybe for me felt mm, like not a ex- trial,
1: <laughs> right? A trial, not a trial,
0: uh, to for all intents trial, not purposes. Trial. and purposes, basically. Yes. Yes. Um, but that becomes the focus of the movie, yeah. twofold, right? Because mm-hmm. we have two of them going on, um, and maybe that swing, that that jarring kind of turn. Maybe it was just a little too much for me, but I do think they planted the seeds really well early in the movie with all of the uh, communism stuff. Because mm-hmm. I think upon movie, watching,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lot yeah, more out of it.
0: The movie kind of becomes about McCarthyism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, looking for these people who are communist, looking for the Reds, and and getting them in trouble. And so I think they do that uh, with the introduction of um, uh, Florence Pugh's character. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the function of that character almost a
2: little bit. Yeah. And again, again, if this uh, needs to be the the time to bring on the debate as far as yeah. Nolan's treatment of women, she plays Jean Tatlock, who is this very significant figure in Oppenheimer's life. She is a left-wing communist uh, who, you know, never fully shares maybe the full affections that Oppenheimer has towards her. So she kind of comes and goes from his life. Apparently she is like a psychologist and things like that. So yeah, um, there are. I didn't pick
0: that up. I didn't either.
2: I think uh, well, and that's just maybe me going, hearing other people talk about it and sharing more what they Mm -hmm. know, and I'm just you know gaining that peripherally, not necessarily through the movie. Sure. But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: Um, I want to talk about the sequence directly following the Trinity tests um we see an extended sequence where you know is it going to rain is it mm. you know is it going to work is the air around us going to explode or and, is and everybody like, going to die on earth like that, yeah, that's actually this, this a thing infinite chain that, reaction of
1: the atmosphere igniting well it's a near zero chance and it's like yeah. you can't make it a zero you know <laughs> well <laughs> i was gonna
2: say and that's just data like matt damon as uh, general groves uh as this you know Yeah, he plays it so bombastically and to great effect, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, just, yes, Uh, theoretically, you know, they were, they came to one conclusion that, you know, setting off an atom bomb might forever ignite the atmosphere and just (laughs) light the world on fire. Mm -hmm. It was, it's a near zero chance. Mm -hmm. And so that's as good as Oppenheimer can give Damon's character, who doesn't necessarily want to accept it, but can't Mm -hmm. see any other way around it. Mm
0: -hmm. And you see... The reactions of everybody in this moment and just the way they look at the tests or are waiting for the tests tells you everything about their character. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. Um, It's just efficient storytelling. It's one moment where we're not hearing people scream and yell and talk. The sound
2: drops out. We're just hearing the breathing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So
0: that adds a really nice contrast. Mm -hmm. It's one moment in the movie where that's happening only there pretty much, I think. And you see characters like uh, Benny Safdie's character, Edward Teller, this is the guy who uh, helped make the decision to develop the H bomb. Yes. Right?
2: Yeah. He's, he has the idea for the H bomb and thinks that's the way they should progress um and so he's got a little bit of like a struggle with oppenheimer and their ideas and what they're doing there but yes and And that plays out later when they're older too fusion yes
0: um and you see him sitting on the lawn chair like just pleased as as a peach (laughs) just watching this thing
2: slathered up in sunscreen and he's got his sunglasses on
0: his future's so bright but then you see other people who are just so anxious and uh, people who who don't want to look and people who do want to look very desperately and oh wow I I was just taken with that scene
2: and I think maybe that's a little a little bit of like a struggle for me too with it is yeah and it, it could just be me and maybe it's my assumptions too but you know the build up to the development of the atom bomb through the Manhattan Project. It has so much momentum. There's so much thrust there. And it's kind of like the one idea most people probably have about this. So then after that, you know, that happens. There's great delineation between the three acts in this movie. That's the end of the second act. We've still got a third act. Yes. There's still an hour left of this movie. There is. And so it's not to say like all the wind has gone from the sails because, yeah, no one's not going to let that happen with his style and the way he's telling the story. The energy keeps up. And I felt like the fallout, um, you know, more or less, uh, with uh, <laughs> sure. with with Oppenheimer reconciling that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the nightmarish visions he then has, like wrestling with what he has unleashed, what he, American Prometheus, has wrought upon the world is extremely effective. Mm-hmm. And that I was there for in the third act. The machinations of the story then kind of like setting up this reveal of Robert Downey Jr.'s character who's just merely vindictive, who's been in the shadows, who politically has been leveraging so many things against Oppenheimer that has mm-hmm. produced both hearings in a way mm-hmm. to get himself into the cabinet and to get Oppenheimer shut down because of like one public humiliating act, yes. kind of. Okay, so it's like... That there too, the Mozart Salieri thing, it's just like, okay, that's great, but you know, we're dealing with so much more here. I get that politics might truly be the end of the world and what people do with them. That's fine. But yeah, the the thrust of like what I was there for and to yeah. see
0: that Maybe the stakes of the story are, are much yeah, larger elsewhere. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um so yeah, as soon as, you know, Fat Man and Little Boy are carted off away from Los Alamos. You know, just a, a lot of the movie. Nah, not a lot, but a, a decent amount of the movie goes with it too. So okay. then, you know, going along with yeah, the, the these hearings, great moments. There's still like great things, and yeah, there's great vindication coming from like Rami Malek's character who pops up, uh, or the actor who pops up, uh, and like one of the hearings. A nameless senator's aide played by Alden Ehrenreich has great moments against uh, Downey Jr., which I'm also like, okay, well, none of this can be proven. It's just nice to hear. (laughs) Um, So there's just, you know, some structural things that are there in the third act that, you know, I'm like, it's well done, well acted, uh, but uh, just not at the same level as everything else.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. And I think maybe you just put into words what I've been thinking about the third act, which is I'm impressed by so much of it. But it just doesn't carry the same weight. Mm. And I don't know that I was ready for that after such a thrilling sequence. Mm -hmm. And after what I thought going into the movie was going to be the climax and pretty much like the (laughs) third act, there's a lot more after. So it's an expectation thing. Mm. It's an energy thing. It's a weight thing. And again, didn't entirely love it. Didn't entirely hate Mm. it. Mostly, right. mostly, really liked it a lot. Actually, I, I do yeah.
1: know that the book American Prometheus goes heavily into the hearings, so maybe that's mm-hmm. just based, you know, another and doing service to it. it. Yeah, yeah. There
0: you go. Um yeah. You're making and, me want to read it now. And, yeah. and
1: the, I, it's in my yeah, it's in my Audible wish list right now. So <laughs> Nice, <laughs> nice. Um,
2: and it and it could be something that just you know, for for me personally, grows on me more, especially mm-hmm. because yeah. So. I saw this sans my wife who, you know, um, lovingly stayed home with the children. <laughs> she is a scientist. So she oh. immediately brings it up. Oh, She's like, all right, okay. you're seeing a science movie without me. Oh. You're going to have to watch that again. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I don't see any problems with that. And so I think upon like rewatching it, mm. uh, knowing where it's going, I'm I'm probably going to pick up more. And that third act could start to come around for me where mm-hmm. maybe it's not going to play. Uh, as well as the rest of the movie. But upon further rewatches and things, the appreciation for maybe what's going on there or the understanding
0: could grow Yeah, in my state. I think that that's a high probability for me, too, just picking up on more of the details throughout and knowing it's coming, being ready for that. Again, a lot of it was just the expectation of the Trinity tests being the big focus of what we're building up to. And it is, but then there's another hour. So... So
2: I'm curious, um, one scene in particular, I'd love to know what y'all thought about this. And it's the one scene one of the uh, descendants of Oppenheimer has issue with. Because mm-hmm. I think it is it is in the book American Prometheus, but it is the apple scene. So oh, yeah. early on, mm-hmm. early on in Oppenheimer's studies, uh, <laughs> you see him just, you know, in lab, kind of – have a a blundering moment and he's (laughs) taken to task for it by the professor. And it's then, um, uh, you know, revealed that Niels Bohr played by Kenneth Branagh is there to give lecture and everybody's super excited. And the professor dismisses everybody except Oppenheimer to go see this. And then he proceeds to walk over to a newly placed apple on the professor's desk, takes it a syringe and injects it with cyanide. Yeah. And then it's kind of like this, you know, Chekhov's Mm -hmm. Apple situation where it's like, how's that going to play out? And you see kind of like build up. And then the next morning, Oppenheimer realizes what he's done. He races to go get the Apple. There it is between his professor and Niels Borg, who's uh, somebody (laughs) he admires, about to take a bite of it. And he snatches it out of his hands. But how did that how did that seem like read to you guys? Oh, knowing that it's probably yeah maybe not historically accurate.
1: Apparently, supposedly it is historically accurate. Although, like oh. maybe it wasn't really cyanide. It may have it been was something like less.
2: Side as well, he might
1: have mentioned. Might have been what? But it may it may have been something less poisonous than oh, okay. cyanide. But apparently, he really did inject some something toxic into the professor's apple.
0: In the moment, it didn't. I didn't think much about it. Mm. And I also think that sequence was happening when I was getting annoyed with the kids near me. In the, <laughs> so I don't That'll know do that it. I was yeah. in the perfect spot mm. to like analyze that, okay. but I didn't come away being bothered by it or thinking about it for the rest of the film. Mm. Um, but you're, you're kind of making me think about the parallel there. You know, you're talking about this film is filled with parallels. Is there an intended parallel with him being frustrated by this authority and acting out because of that, and then also how these, uh, like Strauss and other people, act out against the scientists when they they mis- they're misunderstood or they misunderstand.
2: And it's it's just fun because I've heard interpretations and I've come up with my own. And it like, okay, so whether that's whether that happened or not, uh, I think it's like the grandson of Oppenheimer who takes issue with that. Yes. He doesn't want
0: that to be in the, it misrepresents or something.
2: And, 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 but I don't think that's Nolan's point either. It's like, well, it was in the book. I wanted to put it. It's, Mm it's, it's, it's a great visual, but I think it's a bigger idea to Nolan and whether it happened or not is of no interest to him. So I think for people to kind of like wrestle with maybe what that is, is, is kind of fun. Um, I've heard people talk about it being like Oppenheimer being both like, adam and eve and the snake all hmm. at once oh, um to what you alluded to bo as well as far as like these acts these parallel acts of like humiliation yeah. where yes. strauss is humiliated and then he's vindictive against oppenheimer yeah. oppenheimer was humiliated and then he's suddenly vindictive against it's his kind professor. of showing
0: yeah mm-hmm. now that you put it in those words it's showing me that you know any human can be can fall victim to that, whether you're the one who gets the poison apple or the one who poisons the apple.
2: Well, and seeing that's just it to the bigger idea of Oppenheimer wrestling with the gravest of ideas of what he has brought into this world and handed over. I, you know, it's like, okay, so he takes in, in two cases, he takes a sphere and within that sphere, he kind of puts death. And at the beginning, Mm. at the beginning, he's able to take it back at the last moment before uh, he's able to kill anybody oh my God. and yeah. then but in the others working for the government That's crazy. everything he's doing there it's out of his control mm-hmm. and it's out of his hands
0: oh my gosh i never thought that i would think about that scene uh that yeah. much i didn't think we would touch on the poisoned apple this much but <laughs> yeah not since snow white <laughs> right yeah honestly like iconic poison apples we got that two right there yeah um yeah, no. I'm I when I rewatch this, and I do say when intentionally because I do want to rewatch mm-hmm. this. Maybe even in the theater, I'm going to be watching the first thirty minutes more closely. I think specifically toward that scene,
2: and hopefully there are no kids in there anymore.
0: Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I'll go on like a Thursday night and there's nobody around. <laughs> cool. Um, and then like just that scene. Oh, we could talk about um, Einstein. No. Well, we can. Do you want to say anything about this? Oh, no. Just
2: going back to like what that conversation is. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Which, I mean, again, you know, I think right alongside Barbie as far as just having like final lines in movies that like kind of like perfectly sum up maybe like the tone, Mm -hmm. if not the themes. Because, yeah, the tone of Barbie is this kind of like irreverent but truthful fun. Um. So saying, gynecologist at the very end, you know, it's 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 funny. It's it's subversive. You
0: don't expect it. But it's crazy if, that both movies use the same final line. Yeah, no, I, like, I, I did not that, believe that. That is what made it's Einstein crazy. So dour walking away,
2: he's like, "Oh, my wife has to go." <laughs> so
0: it's like Downey's that, pursuit that left a sour taste in my mouth, like a poison apple. <laughs>
2: Strauss has wanted to know what 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 did Oppenheimer say to Einstein there at the pond on campus that just turned him away and made him so cold. Mm -hmm. And we finally actually do get in on that conversation, Uh, whether again, that's historically accurate, whether it was said to him or to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But they talk about the calculations that we've already discussed again, as far as. The theoretical possibility of sending the world on fire, yeah, and he asks uh Einstein if he remembered when he sent him that, and Einstein you know recalls, it, and he's like, and you know w- w- what was the answer and oppenheimer's fi- I, uh, final line to the effect is you know, I think we did, uh, yes, and that's it, mm-hmm. and then again, both movies ending on a close up on our protagonist's faces, one beaming brightly uh with a million dollar megawatt smile and the other <laughs> the other being crushed with the weight of you know what they they have done uh, you know and the moral implications with it all.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways to read that. Yes, we did set the world on fire line. You know, mm-hmm. you can read it as in that moment, um they are going to use this to kill lots of people. Uh they also are sowing all of these seeds of, uh, conflict and, um, and distrust and all this stuff. And also it means for future generations that this weapon will always be a thing that humanity knows about and knows how to make and knows Mm -hmm. how to make better. And And, so it is like an implication that this will keep happening. This will keep getting, uh, bigger and better. And the, the train's on the tracks and it's not stopping.
2: Yeah. The cat, I was going to say, as soon as the atom was split, uh, you know, that news spreads across the world. And you see it uh, uh, in, in the movie as well, where Oppenheimer receives that news and he doesn't think it's possible. And he immediately goes to the blackboard and is trying to solve it himself. And then next door, one of his fellow colleagues actually has, and mm-hmm. he understands it. So the, shortly thereafter, as World War II is raging on, he knows and says plainly that all the physicists in the world have the same idea that the atom bomb is possible yeah. and who's going to make it first. And so I'm kind of curious and, and maybe, maybe there isn't a moral discussion here because towards the end of the second act, after the atom bomb has proven successful, there's a bit of a moral quandary as far as like Germany's already been defeated at this mm-hmm. point in the war. Yes. Uh, Japan, Seems as though it's inevitable that they will be defeated too. So where do we go from here? Um, I, you know, and I and I've I've, I've had a friend who, you know, having seen this, would focus more maybe on that question. But I'm also just kind of like, well, just because maybe we wouldn't have, would that have changed necessarily anything? Just knowing that the possibility was out there.
0: Yeah, there's a scene I remember where Oppenheimer walks in behind everybody. And they're talking about now what's the next step after the Germans are defeated. And that's where, is that where he gives the rationale or someone gives the rationale to him to continue using it? You know, like that's, that's, I think a lot of the explanation in the movie itself. Hmm. And then everything else is real world context that you kind of have to know. Like, The attack on Pearl Harbor and all that other stuff, you know, so that's that's another thing to consider.
2: I was just saying, uh, you know, to political advantage or not, you know, it's it's also shared intimated to him and maybe his team is there as well, that whether Japan is going to be defeated now or just a little bit later is irrelevant because, you know. They've, they've got uh, it on the inside that the Japanese just simply will not stop fighting mm-hmm. and they won't give up. So.
0: And uh, then there's the meeting in the closed room with like the, the presidents and everybody. That's,
2: that's the, that's oh, the actor yeah. I missed.
0: That's the, oh, yeah. You okay. Missed that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Playing
2: Harry Truman. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's the, well, I'm actually thinking about um, not the one-on-one meeting oh. or the, or the one-on-two meeting. I'm thinking about, uh, the room where they're talking about, like, well, should we show them the bomb first or should we just say oh, that we'll yeah, do yeah. it? Sorry, that, that's the James that's, Remar
2: scene. That's, yes, that's the <laughs> other actor
0: you clocks or that's the actor you clocks yeah. that I didn't. And uh, they're saying, like, but we can get to the Truman one. Um, they're saying, like, well, should we show them the bomb? Should we tell them we're doing the bomb? And so that's where there's another layer too that's mm-hmm. really interesting. It's like you've got 10, again, just like white guys in a room. <laughs> Who are making this decision and just chilling lines like, um, you know, we have a list of all these cities. Oh, we mm-hmm. struck. Uh, what was it? Kyoto or no Sorry.
2: No, they uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki.
0: No, but the one that they crossed off the list. Oh, yes. Oh, yes sorry.
2: Kyoto. Yes. They, yeah. they crossed that off because of the we significance. Honeymooned. Yeah, we, yeah.
0: we honeymooned oh, there. Just, it's yes, a, lo- yeah. a culture. It has cultural significance. My wife and I <laughs> and honeymooned honey- there. there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oof. <laughs> just. Disgusting. Yes. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they, they have that list basically. And it is which ones do we do? Mm-hmm. How do we tell them we're doing it? Do we tell them we're doing it? To what extent? And so that's where it is like a lot of decision making happening in a very short period of time. And that's very scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Yeah. That's basically what I took away from all of that. Mm. Um, and then there's the Harry Truman scene.
2: Yeah, that's postscript of the the bomb dropping and all that. Yes, where yeah, uh, Oppenheimer wants to talk about and and plead and leverage for disarmament and mm-hmm. never you know proceeding and like you know it's how you know him himself the blood is on my hands and things like that. But Truman yeah. reaches <laughs> over and it's like yeah, nobody's you know they're only going to remember that I you know, dropped the bomb and things like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and then and, calls him a crybaby. Cry crybaby, yeah. I was, yeah I was gonna say like... he
2: turns very callous uh <laughs> towards him. Uh and also since I guess yeah, we're in spoilers, I did not peg that under own all, all the prosthetics and makeup that was in fact Gary old.
0: I know. Great. I wouldn't have either it was amazing. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it took me, I think, a couple of cuts. It took me like, you know, they were doing the shot reverse shot and then on like the third or fourth shot of Truman, I was like, that is someone. And then the, the <laughs> next one, I was like, oh my God. That's, and that, that's he did something with his eyes or his mouth that nice. told me that that was him. Yeah. I,
2: I could could not peg it at all. But so. totally get it. He's, yeah. a, he's a chameleon.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, and then just that scene after doing the Trinity tests uh, where he's having the hallucinations. He's yeah. he's imagining. Um, yeah. At this rally speech. At the rally uh that was really chilling mm-hmm. and I don't think I've ever seen that kind of thing from Nolan. I don't where I actually was thrilled and scared. I thought it was actually horrific yeah. and as two horror movie fans, I was wondering like <laughs> I know that this isn't like a terribly horrific scene, but what did you think of that scene just with playing with um the conventions of psychological thrillers and things like that?
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, well done. It was just, yeah, the reaction of you know, other people who saw it who were very depressed after the movie or just found it very disturbing and sobering, I expected it to be a lot more graphic than it ended up being. Of course, I'm pretty desensitized. I don't think <laughs> I'm the one who should give people advice about yeah. what's what's too explicit or yeah, not. You've seen lots not, of horror you know. films. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs>
0: cool
2: I'm always I'm always for using horror imagery to Mm -hmm. get a point across outside of a horror movie just because I can I think it can be all the more effective and yeah uh, as mentioned earlier it's not exploitation because no we don't really see the aftermath of what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki we hear some of those details and photos are shown to other people Mm -hmm. which uh yeah as you know us and you know to to a certain extent the audience mm-hmm. um, and myself I do not rule myself out because there's a part of me that's as a voyeur watching all this I'm like I'd like to look over the shoulder and see that but the restraint there and then the creative decisions to show it in another way um, inflicted back mm-hmm. upon us like yeah. in this moment of this like just like people just like losing their minds with us having won the war and the patriotism mm-hmm. and everything I'm not uh, shunning that at all but him now being haunted by this Mm -hmm. Uh, early on. He's he talks about like, you know, the problems with his minds and the kind of everything going on inside of it. And he's just added another layer here. So yeah, to see the, the intensity of a bright flash of an atomic bomb going off and seeing that on these people who are just like out of their minds, happy. um, And then their skin just starting to flake off Mm -hmm. and then suddenly stepping into Uh, A pile of ashes that was like a human body. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the visual medium of cinema right Mm -hmm. there.
0: He is uh, seeing some people cheering and laughing and Mm -hmm. like, I think there are people hugging or kissing or something. And then it'll flash and they'll change. And they're now like uh, upset or crying or, or dead. Yeah. You know, so it's, um, it's all he can think about. And that flash is interesting that they show that because in the movie, just before that is the scene where they do the Trinity test. Mm-hmm. So he has just seen the flash. So he knows what that looks like. And I, as I imagine quite a bit of time has passed between those two <coughs> scenes, but that's ve- That's gotta be pretty f- recent in his mm-hmm. memory. It's probably something he thinks about every day. That's kind of what I picked up from it is like, maybe he's pictured that flash every day. Mm. And then, um, There is a following scene where he's being shown like a slideshow of the effects. They
1: show his reaction, but they don't show the slideshow. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. That's Mm -hmm. what I was referencing Yes, The photos. Okay.
0: And that, that put, that subtle push in of the camera, really effective. We just see him. We think it's going to cut to the screen and it doesn't because he's not looking just great. It's, that's another example of like that restraint that Mm -hmm. is just really effective. And uh, if you don't understand why that's effective, then maybe watch the movie again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, anything else? Any other takeaways? Any other interpretations? There's been some great analogy here. Um. um
2: yeah. I mean, uh,
0: or analysis, there, 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 I
2: should say. There, I mean, yeah. The the, the discourse on like in both of these movies is just out there, and and uh, and I love it. Um, it's bittersweet, just because you know, as of this recording. Hollywood is still in the midst of a double strike going on. And it's like, man, right when it felt like we were kind of getting back up on our feet with things like this, you know, now future productions and movies are getting moved around to accommodate what might be a very barren landscape in the future. So that's a bummer. Yeah. Just on it's the a, movie side of things.
0: It's a, a, not a great example, but an example of people just not listening to each other Mm -hmm. not listening to people who need to be listened to and that's a shame but uh cinema roundtable we'll still keep talking about movies um at least for a while and we'll see the after effects of the the strikes probably Mm -hmm. the the delayed effects maybe within a year or two we'll start to see maybe a drought of these films if uh decisions can't be or agreements can't be reached
2: yeah that is yeah so if we I was going to say we're we're ending on the Oppenheimer dower note rather than the the Barbie
0: oh, high no. note, <laughs> so people can go back and watch Barbie maybe to <laughs> make an Oppenheimer sandwich and have both buns be Barbie. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. But uh, if unless there's anything else, that'll do for this edition of Cinema Roundtable. Uh, I forget how Jake closes this out, but uh, we will be back in probably roughly a month with another another movie. I don't think that's been decided yet. Nope. As you say, we hardly know what we're doing ahead of time. Okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> Makes my outro easy. Um, so otherwise, we will see you all at the movies.
1: This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding.